All right. So uh, as we read the letters of Paul, especially this first letter to the church at Corinth, uh, there are a couple of truths that just jump off the pages. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love reading the letters uh, that Paul wrote to the churches, uh, that Paul wrote to Timothy. I love reading the letters that Paul wrote. But there's a couple of truths that just jump off the page when you think about these letters that Paul wrote. And like I said, we're in 1 Corinthians um, chapters 12 and 13 tonight, but this first letter um, to the church at Corinth, uh, I've learned two truths, and I want to give them to you tonight. Number one, Paul loved the Lord. He loved the Lord wholeheartedly. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord. Uh, he rejoiced in the Lord, and he told everybody that, that the message he proclaimed, the message he preached was Christ crucified. He loved the Lord. But the other truth that we learn about Paul, especially in this letter, is that Paul loved the church. He loved God's church. And that's, that's who it is. It's God's people. It's God's church. So two truths. Paul loved the Lord and Paul loved the church. Now Paul wrote this first letter to the church at Corinth to deal with challenges that they were facing. And if you'll remember, uh, I've been talking about the challenges both internal and external. So the Corinthians were challenged uh, inside the walls. They were challenged because of each other. But they were also challenged because of the culture and, and the place where they lived, where they dwelled. And Paul made it very clear, right, that the way to truth is Jesus because Jesus is the truth. And so he pointed them to Jesus in every way. He pointed them to the Scriptures, to the words uh, that Jesus spoke. Uh, Paul's goal was for the church to know who they were in Christ, and whose they were in Christ. And so what we're going to see tonight in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, we're going to see the evidences of a church surrendered to God in kingdom ministry. I really believe that's what chapters 12 and 13 is all about. It's about kingdom ministry, and it's about the evidences of a church that is surrendered to God completely. And that's what Paul wanted for this church at Corinth. Uh, now, like I said, we got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to cover the entire uh, chapter of 12. We're going to cover the entire chapter of 13. Uh, I'm going to play hit or miss. I may not read every verse, but I'm going to do my best uh, to explain it in context. And, and you might be wondering, Brother Jeff, why are you talking about 12 and 13 uh, all together? Why not just cover 12 one night and 13 the other? Uh, well, to be honest with you, these two chapters go together because Paul is talking about unity, diversity, and love. Uh, I know we call 1 Corinthians 13 the love chapter, and we like to use it at our weddings, and we like to use it with our marital counseling and all of those kinds of things, but um, we're going to look at it in context tonight and how Paul was using it and why Paul was using it when he spoke to the church body because that's where this chapter is. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he's talking about the, fate, the, the challenges that they face. One of them division. Remember, we've already hit this at the very beginning. He, he had to hit this challenge of division. They were divided. And Paul said, no, not the church. The church is supposed to be unified. The church is supposed to be one. It's supposed to be together. And so we're going to cover these two chapters with unity, diversity, and love in mind uh, as this church faces those challenges. So let's dig in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses together. Verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray 
to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, oh, yep, to one, there is, uh, is given through a, the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits, which is discernment. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit as He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So first things first, what Paul does right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in these 11 verses is he shows us unity. We see unity in two places. We see unity in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we see unity in the church body. So before Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, that's the first thing he points out, is he points out the unity that the Trinity has, and because of that, the church has it. If, if the, the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one in nature, then the church should be one in nature because the church belongs to God. So the church can have unity within the body because of the unity uh, of the Holy Trinity. Uh, Dr. Warren Wearsby, I love this. Dr. Wearsby says, we confess the same Lord, we depend upon the same God, and we minister to the same body. I, I love that. So we see the unity in the Trinity and in the body. Not only that, we see diversity. Because when he started talking about the gifts, right, the gifts of the Spirit to the church body, we see all kinds of gifts. That's diversity. So we see diversity in the Trinity and diversity in the Spirit. Uh, Paul talks about gifts and he mentions the Spirit. He talks about service and he mentions the Lord. And then he talks about the workings of all of it and he mentions God. I don't think that's a coincidence, right? That he talks about the Spirit, the Lord, and God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit when he's talking about unity and diversity. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah says this in his commentary. He says, Paul uses the beautiful mystery of the Trinity to demonstrate to the church at Corinth that there is diversity in the Godhead, yet there is still only one God. And there is also diverse, diversity in the spiritual gifts, but only one church. So I love that. We see unity and we see diversity, both in the Godhead, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and in the church body. Now Paul talks about the Spirit, and he says the Spirit is the one who gives gifts to all believers. So let me just tell you something tonight. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have a gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. You may have one, you may have two, you may have five, but you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to all believers, and these gifts should be known, and they should be used for the good of the entire body. 
You should know the gift that the Holy Spirit gives you. When you study the Bible, when you pray, when you bump elbows and shoulders with brothers and sisters in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is going to make your gift evident. You're going to know it. People are going to know it. And then you are to use that gift for the good of the body, the entire body. Each and every gift of each and every believer was given to us by the Spirit of God and the body of Christ was the purpose. It was given to you and to me, but with the body of Christ as the backdrop, okay? And so we should know our gifts and we should use our gifts in this way. So those first 11 verses, we got a lot. I mean, I could probably stop and preach a whole sermon just on those verses, but since we're trying to look at the the whole package, uh, I'm going to move a little quickly here. Now, I'm not going to read verses 12 through 26. Uh, This is a very familiar passage with you. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 26, Paul uses the human body to describe how the church works together in kingdom ministry. And Paul, this is not the only time he does that. He does that in, in some of his other letters as well. He uses the human body to describe how the church works in kingdom ministry. And though there are many parts of the body, there is just what? One body, you know? You got two hands, you got two feet, you got two ears, you got a nose, you got eyes. You got all these parts, but you have one body. And Paul makes it very clear that he's not just talking to Jews. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles. And this would have been a very big deal. And so the Jews and the Gentiles are beautifully united in Christ. One baptism by one spirit, the works of one God. Right, And that's what Paul is making very clear. So he's going to use this illustration of the body to demonstrate, to talk about how the church works together. And so Paul, in this passage, he says that God places the parts of the body. That's very important. God places the parts of the body where he wants them, and his intention is for them to work together. So God puts the parts of the body where he wants them, he places them where he wants them, and the intention is that those parts work together. They work in tandem to move forward for God's glory. Again, I love Dr. Tony Evans, and in his commentary, Dr. Tony Evans says this, if every part of the body were the same, it would cease to be a body. He said, if every part were an eye, then you would just have an eye. If every part were a hand, you would just have a hand. And what can an eye do without the other parts? What can a hand do without the other parts? The one who created you gave you the spiritual gift or gifts he wanted you to have to be used in tandem with the other parts of the body. I love that. I love Dr. Tony Evans. He makes that very clear. Uh, Paul also, in verses 12 through 26 makes it clear that every part of the body is necessary, whether seen or unseen. Every part, whether seen or unseen. So for example, right now when you look at me, you can see my head, you can see my arms, you know, you can see my legs, you can see my big old feet. But right now you can't see my heart. Now you you know a general location where it's at, but you can't physically see my heart. But do you know it's there and it's working? 
Yeah, let's, let's pray it keeps on working, right? Because here's the thing. Even though it's unseen, it's very important because the other parts can't do their thing, right, without the heart doing its thing. And so every part of the body is necessary, whether seen or unseen. Now, why would Paul say this to the church at Corinth? Remember, they were challenged, both inside and out. And one of the challenges at the church at Corinth was they were placing more value on one part than other parts. They were placing more value on one gift than other gifts. And, and Paul, he's going he's gonna to say, hey, look, there are some gifts that, that really do, as far as pecking order, you really ought to pay attention to, but it's not your choice. It's not your decision. God places the parts where he wants them, and the Spirit gifts how God leads the Spirit to gift, okay? And so, uh, all too often, too many times, what we do is we emphasize what we see with our eyes, placing value on the visible, but what we got to understand is that the things we do not see are just as important and just as significant, even necessary, for the body to do what it's supposed to do. Uh, I was listening to a, a sermon by Pastor Joby Martin, and uh, I can't remember the exact date of the, the sermon because I listened to a lot of his podcasts, but in, in one of his podcasts, he was, he was preaching from this passage, and he said, you know, um, I can live without one of my arms. One of my arms could be amputated, and I can live without that arm, but how much more difficult does it make it in life? I have to, I have to overemphasize with my other arm because I'm missing one. And so he just talked about, hey, listen, sometimes you can operate and function without certain parts, but it, it, it's called handicapped for a reason. It, it limits what you can do and how you can do things. And so I love that. Every part is necessary, whether you see it or not. And it helps us to glorify God in every way as a body. So God put the body together this way. Why did he do that? He put the body together this way so that there would be no division. There should be no division within the body. We've already talked about that early on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2. Division hurts the body of Christ. It hurts the testimony of the church in the community when there are divisions within the body. There should be equal concern for one another. Equal concern. Uh, If we get caught up in coveting, if we get caught up in comparing spiritual gifts, then what we do is we're inviting the enemy to come into the body and wreak havoc. And remember, the enemy is all about divide and conquer. That's what he wants to do, divide and conquer. If I can get these two mad at each other, if I can get these two envying each other, coveting each other, if I can get these two split, then I can get more split. And then if I can split this group, I can split that group and just split, 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 division, division, division. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to do that because you are the image of God as an individual and as a church. You are the image of God. I love Bob Goff. How many of you like Bob Goff? I'm going to tell you, if you have not read Love Does, and, and um, he's got several books, and they're all good. Um, he's got one called Undistracted. I think one of the, Marty, has your class started that? Yeah. If you've not picked up Undistracted, that's an incredible book. I'm just telling you. We've got a Sunday school class that's doing that study right now. But listen to what Bob Goff says. 
He says we won't be distracted by comparison if we are captivated with our purpose. Ooh, listen to that again. We won't get distracted by comparison if we are captivated with our purpose. In other words, when you are in tune with the Spirit of God, when you know who you are and you know whose you are, when you know the gift or the gifts that the Spirit has given you and you are using those gifts to glorify God, you're captivated by the purpose you have in Christ, you won't have time to be distracted with comparison. You won't be worried about comparing to this one or that one. You'll do what you're supposed to do. Listen, you may be the foot. Be the best foot, right? You may be the hand. Be the best hand. You may be the ear. You may be the listener. Be the best listener, right? Be who God created you to be. Be captivated by your purpose and then you won't get distracted with comparison because I'm going to tell you, comparison is a tool that the enemy is using very well today. Very well. Think about your Facebook and your Instagram and your, and your social media. Think about those things, right? We see this one's doing that, this one's got this, and this one's got that, and we're going, why can't I have that? Why can't I do that? And listen, churches can get caught up in that too. Churches can get caught up in, oh, well, we got to be bigger and better than this church or that church. Churches, we are one, right? And the enemy is Satan. It's not this church or that church. We are one and we operate together under the grace, the mercy, and the love of God. We are not fighting against each other. We are fighting with each other against the enemy. And comparison, I'm just telling you, the devil is using that tool and it is sharp today. It is cutting deep today. And so there should be no division in the body of Christ. There should be equal concern for one another. Uh, We should glorify God and we should praise God for the gifts we have, whether it's the gift I have or the gift she has or the gift he has. Praise God for those gifts. Give God glory, right? Give God glory. So listen to this passage. We're going we're gonna to catch the tail end here of chapter 12. I kind of sandwiched it there. I do want to read these passages, uh, verses 27 through 31 of chapter 12. Listen to these words. Now you are the body of Christ. What a, what a powerful statement. What a powerful truth. What is church? It's not just a place. It's not a building. Say that again. It's people. Paul says you are. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I'm going to tell you, verse 31 is one that is very often misinterpreted and misused, okay? And I'm going to do my best not to to misinterpret and misuse it tonight. But I want you to think about this passage. First and foremost, the church, it is an expression of Jesus Christ to the world in which she has been placed. When people outside, when people outside this body, 
when they say, I want to know who Jesus is, man, they ought to be able to look at the body of Christ. And who is the body of Christ? What Paul say? You are. You are the body of Christ. The church is an expression to the world of who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ is all about. They ought to be able to see it. They ought to be able to hear it. They ought to be able to feel it. They ought to be able to know who Jesus is by looking at the body of Christ. We, the body of Christ, should be a tangible demonstration of who Jesus Christ is and who is Jesus. I just wrote down a few things. He is love. He is light. He is life. He is truth. We got to be that church. We got to be that for our world because I'm going to tell you, uh, the media whether it's social media or whatever, the media is filling our people up with a bunch of false information, not true information. The media is telling us we ought to live this way, live this way, live this way, do what you want, do this, do that. (laughs) They're not giving us truth. And so the church, we have to be the light. We have to be the love. We have to be the life that people can see, and it's all found in Jesus Christ. We can show our world the love, the light, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ. We can, because Christ is in us, right? Christ is in us. And I always use that illustration. When you dip a sponge in the sink, whatever's in that sink, when you pull that sponge out and squeeze it, that's what's coming out. If Christ is in you, And Christ is in me and Christ is in this church. When we get out in that world and we get squeezed, what should come out? Christ, right? But if we're full of self, if we're full of self, then when we get squeezed, that's what's coming out. And the world's got enough of that, don't they? The world's got enough of selfishness. And and so the church is an expression of Jesus Christ. Not only that, I love this, because Paul Right after he says, you are the body of Christ, he says, okay, uh, well, who's in the church? And he gives us some important offices. God places offices within the church as well as the gifts. And in this passage, Paul actually mentions three offices, and then he also mentions some of the gifts. I want to focus on the offices because we've already talked about some of the gifts. So uh, Paul says that there are the offices of apostles, prophets, and teachers. He mentions those three specifically, right? Apostles, prophets, and teachers. Uh, I thought this was pretty interesting when I was uh, listening to uh, one of one of my sermons, and I can't remember if it was uh, I can't remember if it was Dr. Tony Evans or who it was, but he he mentioned Richard Pratt. Now Richard Pratt uh, was a great theologian, and this is what the the, the theologian Richard Pratt said uh, in the sermon I was listening to. It says, it appears that Paul listed the first three offices in order of importance, but he listed the last five gifts without indicating any priority other than their sequence to teachers. So apostles were the special leaders in the church. Jesus himself called 12 apostles during his earthly ministry. The prophets were called by God and were the instruments of his revelation to the people. And the teachers studied the scriptures and taught the doctrine within the church body. So so Paul makes it very clear that these are important offices that God has placed in the church, the apostles, the prophets, and the teachers. 
And he, he said, you've been given all of these gifts, right? But here's the thing. Are, is everybody an apostle? Nope. Is everybody a prophet? Nope. Is everybody a teacher? Nope. Does everybody have this gift or that gift? No. As a matter of fact, no individual part of the body possesses all spiritual gifts. Now, you may know somebody that can pray and preach and teach and serve and love, and you might think they got every gift, but that's not the way it is worded in this passage. No one has all spiritual gifts. God places the parts of the body where he wants them, and he gifts them according to where he's placed them. He gifts them accordingly. Uh, Can you have multiple gifts? Absolutely. Uh, But according to this passage, you won't have them all. And Paul says this. Paul says that there are greater gifts that can be desired. This does not mean to covet. It means to value. So when, when Paul says, right, to desire the greater gifts, he's not saying covet someone else's gift. He's saying value that gift. Give it the value that it deserves. Again, uh, I love Dr. Tony Evans, and so I'm giving you a lot of his commentary tonight, but um, if it's that good, I I can't do it any better, so I'm just going to give it to you. He says this, Dr. Tony Evans, Paul says it is not wrong to desire the greater gifts as long as they are manifested within the church. That is, those higher-ranking gifts if God chooses to grant them, in order to provide the broadest edification to the church. It's all about the church body being edified, the church body growing into who God has created her to be and to do what God has placed her in the community to do. So it's not about coveting. It's not about comparing and wanting someone else's gifts. It's about valuing those gifts with the church body in mind, okay? Um, you know, I want to be a great preacher. I want to be a great teacher. But I know this, if God gives someone else that gift of preaching and teaching, I want to praise God for it, and I want to tap into it, right? Because the whole body would be better with that gift. And, and so that's what Paul is talking about in this passage. And I'm going to tell you, I do not find it a coincidence that that's the last thing he says when he says to desire the greater gifts And then we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You want to talk about the gift, right? The gift that is great. The gift that we need to be more than anything else. Let's talk about love. I'm just going to read this whole chapter, okay? I wasn't going to to begin with, but why not? It's not that long. It's 13 verses. Let's read it. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, all right, so if I have gift of tongue, right? If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, that is a gift. That is a spiritual gift that has value and purpose. But if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, right, that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. That's pretty powerful. I can have these great gifts, 
that are given by the Spirit. But if I have love, who am I? If I don't have love, who am I? If I don't have love, what am I really doing? I love this. Look at verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor. In other words, if I'm the best giver I can be. If I give all I have, all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then he talks about that biblical love, that Christ-like love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, and by the way, when is completeness coming? What is Paul talking about? Yeah, thank you, Mr. Doris. When we all get to heaven. Yeah, when Christ comes and makes all things new. That's what he's talking about. I love this. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The most defining characteristic of the church should be love. More than anything else, the church should be known for her love. The most excellent way is what Paul says, right? The most excellent way for a church to function is in the way of love. Again, I don't believe it's a coincidence that Paul said, desire the greater gifts. And then he begins talking about biblical love, godly love. Without love, what can tongues do? Nothing except play a loud, you know, clanging, gonging song. (laughs) Without love, what can prophecy do? Nothing. Without love, what can faith do? Nothing. Without love, what can service do? What can giving do without love? I'm talking about through an eternal filter. As Brother Bradley mentioned one time, I remember him saying that we ought to see things through an eternal filter. I believe that's what Paul's doing here, Bradley. He's looking at it through an eternal filter and saying, okay, you gave everything away, but did you love? Oh, okay, you had the gift of prophecy, but did you love? Oh, you had the gift of tongues, but did you love? Because if you didn't love, who cares about the tongues? Who cares about the prophecy? Who cares about the giving if you did not love? I love this. Dr. David Jeremiah, he gives a good, a good illustration of the Greek words used for love in his commentary. Dr. David Jeremiah says there are four Greek words used for love throughout the Bible. 
First of all, there's the word eros. Eros. Eros means sensual relationships. Uh, It's the word that is used time and time again between a husband and a wife, a sensuous relationship. The second word is the word storage. Storage. And that is a love of family relationships and obligations. The third kind of love, it's mentioned quite often actually in the Bible, and that is phileo. Phileo is love among friends. It's what we call brotherly love, right? That's phileo. But the word that Paul is using over and over again in this passage is agape. And I know you know this, agape love. That is the totally unselfish love that can only come from God. You can't have agape love unless you have God and God has you. Agape love is the total, unselfish, sacrificial love of God. And that is the love that Paul is talking about in this passage of Scripture. That's the love that the church, right? The church should be marked by. That, that is, that is the, the church ought to be dipping its sponge in the bucket of agape love. So that when the church is squeezed in this world, it's agape love, right? Sacrificial love that's being poured out. And I love this because Paul, he says when Christ comes again, making all things new, love will remain for eternity. Love will remain for eternity. I wish I could give credit to the, to the book that I was reading. I, can't, I didn't write it down, and I can't remember who said this. But in the book that I was reading, I remember the, it said that when Christ comes again and makes all things new, and this world uh, as we see it now no longer exists, right? He said there will be no need for faith because our faith will become sight. And so faith will be gone. He said we will no longer have the hope that we have right now because our hope will be a reality. It'll be face to face. But love will always be. It's eternal because God is love. And again, I wish I could tell you where I read that. I read so many books and most of the time I'm good about writing the book down and who wrote it because I like to give credit where credit is due, but I couldn't remember you know, where I got that from. But that is so good. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about here. Love will remain. It is eternal. Uh, Once we are with Christ, right, in eternity, our faith becomes sight, our hope, right, it will have been met. As a matter of fact, our hope will be exceeded, right? I can't even imagine being face-to-face with Jesus Christ who died on the cross for me. Can you? Right? I want to know what that looks like when I look him in the eyes and he looks at me. I want to know. I think I, I have an idea, like, but I don't. Right? It's going to be way above my expectations, I, I think. But that love is going to remain because God is love. And so when I look at 1 Corinthians 12, and I look at 1 Corinthians 13, and I think about Start Baptist Church, and I think about any church, all churches. I believe as a church we should strive, right? We should strive for unity. I believe we should embrace, embrace diversity. It's a good thing, right? It comes from God. God gives us this diversity. So we should strive for unity. We should fight for it. 
We should work towards it. We should guard it. We should pray for it. And we should embrace diversity. And we should display God's love to anyone, to everyone. Dr. Warren Wearsby is another a great preacher that I, I like to read. And uh, I want to close with what he said because I think this is so good. Dr. Warren Wearsby says, Unity and diversity. That's what we've been talking about tonight. He says, Unity and diversity must be balanced by maturity, and maturity comes by way of love. Unity and diversity must be balanced by maturity, and maturity comes by way of love. Listen to what he says. It is not enough to have the gift of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. We must also possess the graces of the Spirit and the love of God as we serve one another and serve others. He said it's not enough to just possess the gift of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. We must also possess the graces of the Spirit and the love of God in order to serve one another and to serve others in kingdom ministry. I love that. Maturity comes by way of love. If you want to be a more mature Christ follower, if you want to be a more mature church member, you got to love. Maturity comes by way of love. And maturity is what we use to balance, right? The unity and the diversity. Right? We embrace it. We strive for it. And then we live it out loud. I'm not going to sing it for you tonight, but there's a new song by Meredith Andrews. I love her. She's an incredible worship leader and singer. She's got a song out called Live Out Loud. If you, if you like music, I, I encourage you to go find that song, Live Out Loud. And that's what it's all about. It's about taking who you are, right? Knowing who you are, knowing whose you are taking those gifts that God's given you and then living out loud for the world to see. Not to see you and to clap for you and to pat you on the back, but to see Jesus Christ magnified in you, glorified in you. That should be us as individuals, but as Paul is talking to the church, that should be us as a church. Amen?